Last week we began on a new series in the churches, and I want us to go to the verses that we looked at again in the third epistle of John, third John if you would. We're calling this thus far, and this title is subject to change, God's will is success. God's will is success. In 3 John 2, anybody have it? 3 John 2, it says, Beloved, I wish, or other translations say, pray or desire, above all things that you may prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. The Weist translation says it like this, Beloved, in all things I'm praying that you'll be prospering, that you'll be continually having good health, just as your soul is prospering. 3 John 2. This, we believe, is inspired Word of God. Don't we? If it is, then it's not just something that was appropriate for one person at one time, or else it shouldn't be in here. If it is the inspired Word of God, it's God talking to us. God's Word reveals His unchanging will for all men. So can we take this as God speaking to us? Is it His will that we prosper and be in health? even as our soul prospers. I don't think anybody would dispute that he wants your soul to prosper. Well, why would the other be not applicable? (laughs) He's talking about prosperity inside and out. Not only your soul prospering, but also your body and your finances. Now this is something that is a very contentious topic, isn't it? (laughs) I got a response that time there, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and for decades now, I have pondered why it's such a sore subject with so many. A lot of it just doesn't make sense how adamant and how judgmental people are about this subject. But the more I get into it, the more I see why. There are reasons why. Now, we have a choice in what we believe. There are basically two sources for your beliefs. What God has said, what men come up with. And you may like to think, well, yeah, my, all my believing is totally what God said based. That's nice to think that. But is it true? Have you examined it? Do you examine? I know when I first went to uh, Bible school years ago, first couple of months I was there, I was hearing a lot of things and learning a lot of things. And the, uh, the Lord challenged me. I don't mean I heard a voice outwardly, but inside, very distinctly, he said, Keith, examine everything you believe and find it in the Scriptures. Every time you realize, yeah, I believe that, then where? Where is it? 
Where is it? And of course, if it's really right, it'll, it'll be established in the mouth of two or three witnesses, scriptures. And so uh, I begin to do that. Uh, so I, something had come up, and I think, well, yeah, I believe that. I've always believed that. You know, mom and daddy, grandma and grandpa. I always believed that. And the Lord said, fine, where is it at? Where is it at? And so I'd make a note. Okay, when I get time, I'm going to look that up. So maybe later that evening, I'd, I'd look, and uh, I was surprised. Because thing after thing, I couldn't find. In fact, I found scripture that contradicted some things that I had believed all my life. Well, then you're faced with a choice. Are you going to cling to a belief that has no basis in scripture? Or that's even contradicted by scripture? Or are you going to let the word change you? Are we going to try to modify the word to match us? (laughs) Or are we going to let the word change us? Let the Spirit of God change us. Not be conformed to this unbelieving world, but be transformed by the renewing of our minds. So that we can prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The Bible said in Ephesians, don't be unwise but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Many believe you can't really know the will of God. That's a lie. The Lord expects us to know his will. That's one reason he gave us this book. And he even gave us the author of the book to live inside us, to reveal it to us. Is it God's will for us to prosper? What do you think? Well, let's let's get some more scripture on the subject. Psalm 35, and, and we went over this last time, but I'm going to go over it again. Psalm 35, 27. Psalm 35, 27 says, Let them shout for joy and be glad that favor my righteous cause. Yea, let them say continually, Let the Lord be magnified, which has pleasure in the poverty of his servant. Let the Lord be magnified, which has pleasure in the poverty of his servant. Are you sure? Especially ministers. (laughs) Right? God's ministers, not having anything, pleases him. It's a sign of consecration are you sure why am I doing this much of the church world believes God takes pleasure in the poverty of his servants they do if you don't believe it you're in the minority of the church going world people believe That if you're really consecrated, holy, man or woman, especially anything to do with the ministry, then you're not going to have much or anything. Why would you do that? Unless it pleased God. We need to quit playing with this. If poverty pleases God, Let's do it. 
Let's quit playing around with it. And let's get rid of everything. And let's please God. (laughs) But if prosperity pleases him, let's quit playing with that. Come on, are y'all with me or not? And let's quit entertaining this stuff that somehow or another us being in lack and broke is a holy thing or a sanctified thing. If it doesn't please God, what good is being broke? Come on, did I lose somebody? If, uh, if it doesn't please God, if it doesn't help somebody, how does it help you? For me to be broke. How does it help me for you to be broke? How does it help the church? How does it help preach the gospel? Does it please God? Millions believe it does. Millions. Millions of church going people believe. That if you get serious about God. You divulge yourself. Of all material things. And I'm going to talk to you, if you got time, about why they believe that and where this got started. Where's, where's it come from? Why? But first of all, let's read the Scripture. Amen. Let the Lord be magnified, which what? Has pleasure in the prosperity of His servant. Are you His servant? Yes. Yeah, you're his child, but you can also serve him, can't you? Yes. Does he take pleasure yes. in you prospering? Yes, he does. He'd be out of harmony, out of keeping with all of natural parenthood if he didn't. None of you who have children or grandchildren, does it please you when your child is sick and hurting and in pain? And incapacitated. Not a one. None of you does it please you. When your child is in lack. Loses their place to live. Their car gets repossessed. Loses their job. Winds up on the street. Don't have enough to eat. There's not a father. There's not a mother anywhere. That that pleases them. That poverty of their child pleases them. They're pleased. When their child does well. Right? They like to see them. Rake it in. Am I right? They like to see. How's your boy doing? Oh he's doing good. He's doing good. What does that mean? Money's coming. Money's rolling in. (laughs) And you don't turn to him and go. You wicked thing. You wicked. Wicked thing. So what happened? I mean, that sounds normal and right to us. But when people talk about God, they go, yeah, but now God, he doesn't like it when you make much money. Mm -mm. Well, then he's out of keeping with other uh, fathers, other mothers. Nope. What's the truth? Am I reading the Bible or am I reading the Bible? He said, said out loud, the Lord, my Father, takes pleasure in my prosperity. 
Why don't you make God happy? And let him bless you. Let, let him prosper you. Make God happy. He's, he's a daddy. Make your daddy happy. <laughs> so when somebody asks the father, if one of the angels says, how's your boy doing? How's your girl doing? He goes, he's doing good. He's doing well. And he desires above all things that we prosper and be in health, even as our soul prospers. Man, that was worth you combing your hair and coming out this morning. Is that right? Coming out this morning. Because <laughs> the world, the ungodly world, and the confused church is continuously trying to push something else off on you. Contrary to this. Psalm 112. Psalm 112, verse 1. Psalm 112, 1 says, Praise ye the Lord. Blessed is the man that fears, that reverences, and honors the Lord, that delights greatly in his commandments. Is that you? Do you praise the Lord? Do you reverence and respect the Lord? Do you delight greatly in what he tells you to do and in all of his word? Then look what belongs to you, verse 2. His seed will be mighty on the earth. The generation of the upright shall be blessed. Verse 3. Wealth and riches he'll have to get rid of. Because he's a spiritual man. Or she's a spiritual woman. And you know you can't serve God with all them riches. Said out loud, wealth Wealth and riches riches shall be in his house. house. So he's got a house. He's got a house. And he's got some nice stuff in the house. If we had, if we could get today to come to church and, and testify for us, Abraham. Moses, Joseph, David, Solomon. (laughs) Do you think any one of them you could convince God wants you poor? What do you think? You think you could convince Abraham that it pleases God for you to be poor? They knew a God who made them rich. Gave them too many cows. Is that right? There's so many cows, didn't have enough grass to feed them all. Is that right? Too many goats. Too many sheep. They knew a God who gave them overflowing abundance. And the word that he told them revealed to them prosperity and abundance was a blessing. If you'd obey God and follow God all the way, You'd be prosperous and be blessed and be protected. They heard the word of God that revealed that poverty was a curse. Poverty was a curse. When did all that change? When did prosperity stop being a blessing and become something you needed to get rid of? 
When did poverty stop being a curse and become a blessing in disguise? And the disguise is a real disguise. Poverty nor sickness are blessings in disguise or otherwise. They are curse. They're not a blessing. All of us have experienced some of it, but we also have not served God perfectly in our life or followed him fully or believed to the fullest degree, but we can. I said we can, but don't change the scriptures, don't change the word to try to match our lack of experience. Try to water down the will of God. Let's believe God and let the word elevate, elevate our life to match this. Say it again, God is pleased, pleased, pleased with my prosperity. And notice what he said, wealth and riches will be in his house. And among other things, verse 9 says, he disperses, he gives to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Verse 10, the wicked will see it and be grieved. He'll gnash with his teeth and melt away. Why does the prosperity of the righteous so vex the wicked because it does I'm reading scripture the wicked will see it see what wealth and riches in his house and it'll go no 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 why why I'm going to skip ahead a little bit and then I'm going to come back and talk about this some more let me give you some reasons why 2 Corinthians 4.4 calls the devil the God of this world. And in this world, money is influence. Money is power. The devil wants it all. He wants all the money, all the influence, all the power, and he wants you to have none. No influence. He wants you, especially if you're going to tell the truth, if you're going to testify about Jesus, if you're going to quote scriptures, you've already missed the devil's perfect will for your life, which was to live for him and go to hell. You have already missed the devil's perfect will. Somebody say, glory to God. So the devil's acceptable will now, if he couldn't get you the other way, his acceptable will is for you to go to heaven. Now. Get out of here. Don't tell anybody about Jesus. And the last thing he wants is a man or woman of God who loves God with all of their heart, who's full of the wisdom and revelation of God's goodness, whom God is healed and sustaining their body and blesses them with finances and provision and ability because you stand out like a light. Come on, are you with me? And the Bible said the goodness of God draws men to reformation, to repentance, to change. Not how bad a shape we're in, It's when people see his goodness. 
in our lives, on our lives. And so that's why the devil fights this so hard. He does not want people to see the goodness of God in your life because it will draw them to him. Not to you, to him. And he wants God to be misrepresented. And he wants the church to be despised. And he wants you to be despised. He wants you to appear to be so sick, so broke, so defeated, so depressed and down and disgusted that nobody wants to be like you. He wants you to be despised. And unbelievers despise poverty. Unbelievers want to make money. Lots of it. And get everything they want. And so if they believe that becoming a Christian means basically taking the vow of poverty, they'll despise it. Now there's another side to this, and I'm going to get to it if you'll hold on. Not today, I don't think, but there's another side of this. God's not opposed to us being prosperous and blessed. He is opposed to us being covetous. Money's not the problem. The love of it is. We're going to delve into this. We're going to get into this in detail. But right now, we're talking about this part. It is God's will for you to be filled. Filled with every good thing in your spirit and your soul and your mind. Filled with health and strength. And filled with some money and stuff. (laughs) I know some folks don't like it, but they just going to have to get over it because we are not changing. Because we're reading scriptures here. No. 1 Timothy 6.12 says... Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but trust in the living God. 1 Timothy 6.17. I said the wrong thing. 1 Timothy 6.17. Trust in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. I heard, I read actually many, many years back a uh, story a missionary told. He was a missionary in the South Pacific. This was back before airplanes. They went by ship and there was no electricity and none of these things. And and he was a lover of ice cream. (laughs) And of course you had no ice cream in the South Pacific nor no electricity and there's no refrigeration there's no ice anywhere to be found. And so he managed on a ship to get some, you know, back in those days, they'd have giant blocks of ice. And before the refrigerator, there was the ice box. And you'd put a big cube of ice in there and keep stuff cold. Well, they did that on the ship, and they brought back some ice cream. And of course, it ain't going to last long, but he lined up everybody in the village to come get some ice cream. He's so excited about it. 
So he's standing there himself, dipping the ice cream, dipping the ice cream. And one of the ladies that was one of the most uh, faithful women in the church, she came up, he put a scoop on him, and she, she tasted it, and she, first ice cream she's ever had. She looked at him, she looked at it, she threw it on the ground. He said, dear sister, what? She said, anything, tastes that good, have to be a sin. Have to be a sin. <laughs> Why do people assume if it's nice, if it's expensive, if it's special, it's wrong? It's a sin. Where would you get that? Why would you get that? People say, well, you know, money is the root of all evil. No, no. No, that's not what the scripture said. Money is just money. It's not a person. has no character. Money just enables you to do and express what you are. If you're a bad person and you got a little money, you can do a little bit of bad stuff. <laughs> if you're a bad person, you got a lot of money, you can do a lot of bad stuff. But if you're a good person... And you got a little money. You can do a little good stuff. But if you're a good person and you got a lot of money, you can do a lot of good stuff. Can't you? Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Say it again. My father takes pleasure in my prosperity. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Go with me, please, to the book of Mark. Mark 7 and verse 6. Jesus said to them, Well has Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites. Let's just stop right here. What is a hypocrite? What is hypocrisy? Hypocrisy is saying you believe one thing and doing another, right? Telling other people what they should do and you don't do what you're saying they should do. Hypocrisy is deception. It is lies. It's inconsistency. He said, this people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. How many know where it comes to God? You can talk a good talk, but that doesn't mean your heart's right. You can learn the lingo, the religious jargon, but that doesn't mean that you know God. Verse 7, how be it in vain do they worship me? Now, that's a giant statement. Here's people worshiping God, but it is good for absolutely nothing. Vain means good for nothing, means no result. Are there people who worship God and it amounts to nothing, and it's good for nothing? In vain do they worship me, and here's what makes it vain. Teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. They teach like it's the Bible, 
like it's God, but it's not God. It's something men came up with. Now, how's the only way you'd know the difference? Because you read your chapter. Is that right? Every day, Monday through Friday. Is that right? So you don't get played for a fool. Right? And whether it's me preaching or anybody else preaching on TV or radio or internet or anybody's book, you're checking it out. You got the key. You got the book here, right? You, go, you listen, but you go, oh, hold on now. Wait just a minute. No. No, no I'm not finding that anywhere in here. <laughs> right? Some will have to shut you off. <laughs> you better. I said you better. Yes. So many Christians. So ignorant of the word. Never read the word. Never have. Never take any time. And they're just like little baby birds. <laughs> when anybody comes to preach anything, they go. <laughs> and they just swallow it. Hook, line, and sinker like it's gospel. Don't even check it out. I just trust the man of God. You're not supposed to. I is a preacher. I can say it. You are not supposed to blindly just believe everything I say or anybody says. You've got the great teacher lives on the inside of you. Come on, is that right? Yes. The master teacher. Yes. And if you get something through my ministry, you got it through him, through me. Yes. Come on, can you see that? Yes. And you're listening to him, and one thing about him, he authored this book. Yes. Is that right? Yes. So he knows what's in the book. Yes. And anytime he's teaching you, it's going to be 100% in line with this but there are millions who believe things and they worship God based on these things and their worship is utterly useless because it is entirely the fabrication of men. And just because it's old doesn't make it right. They say, yeah, but this doctrine's been around for a thousand years. Well, this has been around longer than that. And if it was wrong a thousand years ago, guess what? Still wrong. No matter how venerated you treat it, how nice the books are that describe it, how many letters of degrees the men's and women's name have that expound it, it's still wrong. Because this is right. I said, this is right. He said, verse 9, Mark 7 and 9, he said to them, full well, you reject the commandment of God in order to do what? That you may keep your own tradition, verse 13, verse 13, making the word of God of none effect because of what? Through your 
tradition. Now notice two things. They rejected the word of God in order to defend their tradition. And so their tradition, which is man-made, has rendered in their life the word of God with no effect. The word of God has no effect on them. Produces no results in their life because they don't receive it. Because it didn't agree with their tradition. Some years ago I was preaching some things. and After service a woman came up. You could tell she was upset. And she said no, no, no. No. I said what? She said no what you were saying. And she said because it's just like the song says. I said the what? She said it's like the song says. She's quoting to me. The second or third verse. Of an unbelieving song. That she sang as a child. And even though the several verses I've quoted to her contradict that, to her, the song is the authority. Now we might laugh at that, but have you done the same thing? Have I done the same thing? Or y'all are quiet now. <laughs> Should we examine everything we believe? Don't think you are immune from traditional influence. Do not think so. You'd be foolish. All of us came up with some kind of traditions and with traditional beliefs. What are they based on? Where'd they come from? Where did they get started? Who started them? And just because you observed them in church doesn't mean they came from God. Verse 9, let's read it again. Jesus said, he's the head of the church. He said, full well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your own tradition. Which is more important, tradition or the Word of God? Come on, help me out. We know the right answer. Verse 13, making the Word of God of none effect through your traditions. Go to Colossians, the second chapter, please. Colossians 2. Colossians 2, verse 6. I'm reading the NIV. Colossians 2, 6 says, So then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, overflowing with thankfulness. Verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. He said, watch out for it. Verse 18, do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. You'll also find that some of these doctrines that people are so big on Somebody got a revelation from an angel, even centuries ago. But the Bible said Satan himself is transformed as an angel of light. One of his favorite things to do is to try to pass himself off as a messenger of God. Such a person goes into great detail about what he's seen, and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. 
Verse 22, verse 22. These are all destined to perish with use because they're based on human commands and teachings, human teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. There are things that men have come up with that are restrictive, but they are that way because it gives the individual something to boast of. It's a false, a fake, phony humility. Is everybody listening? Most of the church world believes that preachers shouldn't have much. I read after a guy recently, he was saying no pastor should make over $50,000 a year. He was real adamant about it. Oh man, he, he felt quite strongly about it. Why 50? Why not 35? Right? I mean, if smaller is good, smaller than that should be even better, right? Why not? And actually, I read after some other folks, and they said, of course, you know, that ministers should take a vow of poverty and maybe receive a, what do they call it, stipend from the church of maybe $100 a month. Because, you know, then you could be, you know, you can eat, and the, the church is providing meals and that kind of thing, but maybe you could go out to eat once a month. Or you could buy a little present for somebody for their birthday or something. But basically, you should, you're not supposed to have anything. Where'd that come from? Is that scripture? Do you find that in the Bible? Does that please God? Where did that come from? Where'd that get started? Why? How? Notice another doctrine. That goes right along with this. Also, you know, many groups and denominations, they believe pastors shouldn't marry. Right? Absolutely not. And um, the Catholic Church requires that their priests not marry. But they also believe, and, and I've got nothing against the Catholic Church now, I'm just Talking about where things came from. Because this, even though we're not a Catholic church, this affects pretty much every church because of the history going back so far. The influences are there. The Catholic church considers Peter to be the first pope. Oh yeah. I didn't say he was. I said they consider him to be the first pope. He was married. <laughs> yes or no? Huh? So how do you know? Because I got a book. I got a book that, that tells you. <laughs> are, are we going to be all right? Matthew 8. Matthew 8, 14. When Jesus was coming to Peter's house. Whoa, whoa, whoa. The first pope owned a house. It was his house. 
Is that right? Jesus came into Peter's house. He saw his what? Wife's mother. The first pope was married. Had a wife. Had a house. True or not? And if you read some, which I did, I read up on it a little bit. It was some 1,000 years after the beginning of the church that the council of men decided that ministers should not be married. Because if you read the scripture, not just Peter, numerous of the apostles, the prophets, married, landowners, had wealth. Well, who, who wouldn't want godly men and women to marry and have godly offspring? That'd be the devil. He wants the ungodly to multiply, <laughs> take over everything, right? Who would want godly men and women so impoverished that nobody wants to be one? I had a young man sit across the desk from me years ago. His father was a minister. He had a call on his life. I was trying to talk to him about it. He looked at me sternly and said, I'm not living like my daddy did. I, I want to have something in this life. And he was refusing the call of God because he believed you had to be broke and you had to struggle all your life. He believed a lie. I said he believed a lie because the Lord didn't tell him that. The scriptures didn't tell him that. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob didn't tell him that. Come on, can you see that? Where'd we get it? Where'd we get this stuff? Traditions of men have made the word of God of no effect in millions of church-going people's lives. Go to 1 Timothy 3. I got a little bit more. Well, I got a lot more, but for today, <laughs> a little bit more. 1 Timothy 3, verse 1. This is the true saying. If a man desire the office of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, celibate. Nope. Husband. Somebody say husband. Who came up with the, the idea that bishops and ministers and priests should, all, should be celibate. Vigilant, sober of good behavior, given to hospitality. How many understand you need some money? Need some stuff? If you're going to be hospitable, you're going to invite people over to your house, you need a house. Right? If you're going to invite a lot of people over, you need a big house. Is that right? If you're going to throw in a big meal, you need some monies. Is that right? If you're going to do it upright, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, no striker, not greedy of filthy lucre. Now that's the love of money. Not a lover of money, the NIV says. 
but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that rules well his own house, having his children in subjection with all gravity. So he's got a house, got a wife, got kids, got stuff. Skip down over to the, the fourth chapter. This flows, this wasn't written in chapter and verse. So chapter 4, verse 1, this all flows together. The Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and what? Doctrines of devils. Actually, the word is demons. Doctrines of demons. There's not a period there. Semicolon. Doctrines of demons. And the first one he mentions is what? Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Verse 3, forbidding to marry is a doctrine of demons. But tradition is so ingrained in people that many will reject the Word of God instead of get rid of their their tradition. Why am I bringing this up to you? Because priest, the pastor, should be celibate is a companion doctrine with the priest should be broke. Take a vow of poverty. They go together. Can you see this, friends? If this one, forbidding to marry, is a doctrine of demons, wonder where the other one came from. Don't misunderstand me. There are preachers that are crooks, liars, thieves, take up an offering for one thing and pocket it, steal it. But if you'll pay attention to the Spirit of God, He'll let you know that. And you need to stay away from that. Don't invest in that. But that doesn't mean everybody's a crook. Oh, did I I lose somebody? All preachers are not crooks. They're crooks in every profession. But see, there's a lot of people, they, they think we believe like they believe. We're just crooks. That really in my heart, I know as a preacher, I should be broke. Probably not even married. But I'm a crook, so that's what they say. But that's not true. The truth is, they're trying to push their belief off on me. I don't believe this. I don't believe it's wrong for me to be married to this wonderful woman. Woman of God. We're a team in the ministry. That ain't wrong. It's not wrong for us to have abundance. To do everything that we need to do. And be able to give to other people. Give strong into the ministry. Come on, do y'all see this? We had the uh, celebration Sunday a while back. I had more than one little boy. More than one. Come up to me. I've had this during uh, fall social. More than one in fall social come to me dressed up in a suit with a Bible. And they, they want me to know, do you know what I am? Do you know what, what I am? I said, are you a preacher? You're a man of God? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. 
Should we have our young children, at least some of them, wanting to be men of God, women of God, preachers, teachers, should they despise it? thinking you have to be broke the rest of your life and there's no honor in it and there's no respect in it or should they see it as one of the most successful things they could be huh? one of the most honorable things they could be we don't accept this unscriptural traditional belief that people are trying to push off on us we reject it God is not pleased in the poverty and lack and failure of his servants. He is pleased. He is pleased. With the prosperity. No he's not pleased with us running after money. And money hungry and covetous. We're going to talk about that. But he is pleased. With God given abundance. He is pleased. With having more than enough. To do everything that he calls us to do. He wants his blessing financial and material included, to be seen on us until others outside the church see how good God is. Come on, are y'all with me? Others see the goodness of God. He wants the outside world to see victory in our lives until other people want to be like us. They want to be a believer. They want to be a delivered, forgiven, cleansed, Holy Spirit filled, body healed, plenty of money, good house and car, blessed man of God. Of course, knowing that any of the stuff that he's given us, we'll liquidate it just like that. Put it in the kingdom. We'll sow it. It don't own us. We have it. But it doesn't change the fact God wants us to have it. Glory to God. Stand on your feet, everybody. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.